Hi, and welcome to the Unplugged Debate. On this podcast, we delve into the ideas surrounding human interaction with both nature and technology, talking to people about their time in the outdoors, starting from when they were younger all the way through to present day, developing a picture on who and what motivates them to be outside and why they do the things they do in the outdoors, crossing over into talking about their technology usage and how that's changed throughout their life, and speaking to them about the different types of technology they use on a day-to-day basis, from their mobile phones to their running shoes. Once we've developed a good picture of them, we incorporate that into how they think technology has changed their outlook on life and their time in the outdoors. And finishing with how they think technological development has changed society on a wider scale. So hello and welcome. On today's podcast, we've got Wilson. Wilson's a, a lead engineer for UK water clients, dealing with large water treatment projects. Um, he's currently working from home due to the uh, pandemic. Is that is that just due to the pandemic, or are you going to go back into an office once the, when it's over? Or well, hopefully, I never go back into an office. Let's <laughs> just say no. I, I um, I'm one of those guys that doesn't need work for anything other than money. So uh, if I can work from anywhere, I enjoy my work, I enjoy what I do, but I'd I'd quite happily turn on my laptop in the morning, do my work, and then close at the end of the day and be somewhere I want to be rather than in an office. Fair enough. I mean, that gives you a large amount of autonomy um, and control over your day, like you were saying. Um, Yeah. Wilson is also uh, an avid sports climber and boulderer. And he went so far as to say that he's been obsessed for the last 12 years. Um, and then now his passions have changed in recent years over to trail mountain running. So, you know, quite an accomplished individual in the outdoors. Then. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I've, I've happened into it. You know, I kind of, um, as I say, I was, I was totally obsessed with climbing for, as, as quite a lot of people who get into climbing are, people either, people tend to, tend to get obsessed by it I think it's 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 something that is so it's so natural to do and it's just it's so tactile as well and it involves every part of your body and uh, and I think the thing that grabs most people about it is you get into that flow mindset very quickly so when you just switch off completely literally all you're thinking about is where are my feet where are my hands get onto the like how do I grab that hold it's like oh like everything about it is is obsessive and then you also when you add to that the travel aspect of it and, and the places it takes you and the the places you literally the places it takes you in terms of i remember one time we're climbing above uh dunkeld it was really good climbing above dunkeld but it was a bit where you start off and you're kind of in the trees and they're quite long routes maybe 25 30 meters or something and when you get up to 20 meters and um, sorry dogs the dog may intervene at certain points during this podcast, <laughs> punctuate the podcast. That's all right. Um, so when, uh, yeah, when you reach a certain point, you look down to your right and you just see the whole of Dunkeld and Burnham and that lovely Perthshire Valley. 
opening up to your right and that's just not somewhere you'd ever get doing anything else so mm-hmm. it's just I think it's just an amazing sport um, and yeah it just totally hooked me for, for 12 years so every aspect every yeah most nights of the week I'd be training or I'd be out bouldering weekends were spent driving all over the place like yeah like up to Dunkeld or locally there's quite there's quite a bit in Glasgow actually like you've got Barton Rocks not too far away mm-hmm. um, and then yeah just general bouldering inside so that that yeah that whole journey of of training and development and trying new things and becoming a better climber was yeah 12 years and then all of a sudden I realized that after after 12 years the amount of work I was putting into it wasn't it's like I had two weeks there's one time I had two weeks off climbing and I came back and I felt like I was starting from square one again. It was like, why did I put so much effort into this to be, yeah, I enjoyed it, but I was like mediocre. I wasn't like an amazing climber, um, but I just really enjoyed it. But I never quite, it's only so long you can plateau at a certain level of performance without thinking like this, what am I getting out of this? And the amount of times you drive to a crag and it'd be soaking wet, or you drive all the way to Northumberland to go bouldering, and you'd be like two and a half hours in the car, and you get to a crag and it'd be soaking, and you'd be like, well, that was a waste of a day. <laughs> um, and that happened so many times. And then it just, it was my mate, Ross, that um, he'd been working up in Aberdeen, and a few of the guys he was working with uh, were into hill running, and I just went with them one day, and then I haven't looked back really. Uh, that was, like he signed up for the Glencoe Marathon, which goes from the Red Squirrel campsite to the Glen Nevis car park. Over, you basically you run up the Glen and then you join the West Highland Way and you run the final bit of that. And I just I did that event and then I loved it, so I haven't looked back really. So that was that was me basically. That was, I mean, that's been the last three years just, yeah, developing myself as a runner. It's just you you tend to get. The, the thing with running compared to climbing is you run and you get better at running no matter how even if you go out for junk miles you're always doing something and it's always improving an aspect of your running whereas with climbing after two years I don't really feel that like I got any better as a climber for the next 10 you know yeah. so but now I'm, I'm I'm still getting better at running yeah and it's yeah like three and a half years or longer since I've been doing that properly no, I mean that's 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 fantastic that you found a sport that you feel like you're actually progressing all the way through. And like you say, even if you're doing just junk miles, you're still getting fitter and, and stuff like that for, um, for, the, for the running itself. Wilson was, Wilson was, um, was it that you did? You ran up, uh, ran up a hill uh, local, to, local to me and you, uh, you did it in, what was it, four and a half minutes? Oh yeah, just the, the bottle <laughs> behind. Yeah, that was that was good. Well, I knew I knew from running it before. I did the big. There was a loop around the Glen, which was like ten miles and a big loop. So I was taking it more gently. And on that gentle run, I thought, hang on, I'm only a few seconds off of that course record. So yeah, I went up and smashed around that. I, like I went out a run with um, Jenny and, and the dog and. I, was, I took it in, it was a nice day, then I went back out on my own and did the loop again, basically mm. just smashed around it, but yeah, 
No, it's good. But that's the thing about Strava, though, and, and technology like that. I, I wouldn't have done that little silly run without without Strava, basically. It's not in the spirit of running. Yeah, yeah. It's not in the spirit of running and all that. But, I mean, it does it does push you to do silly things and have little micro-adventures. And you normally wouldn't have, have done that sort of thing just to get that little yeah. that segment. All right, so well, we've spoken about what you've been doing for the last 15 years. Um, why don't we rewind a little bit, and go back to the beginning and what really got you out there? Because usually it's it's parents or it's where you're located when you're younger. So just start with that. Where, where did it all begin? Well, I, I, mean, I grew up in a little town called West Cabride, which is mm-hmm. on the Ayrshire coast. Nice, nice little town, um, probably about 5,000 people or something, but it's, it's really well located for just, it's, it's really well located because it's, it's, you've got the beach there, which is a lovely quiet beach. It's not like Largs further up the coast, it's always really busy. And that's where I went to school. And south you've got Troon, which is always really busy. And West Cobride's kind of happy medium because those places take up the tourists and West Cobride tends to stay fairly quiet. Mm-hmm. So we basically, me and my friend, we had a group of friends who all lived within about half a mile of each other. And so from the age of like two, um, we always had the same group of like mates. Mm-hmm. And we're the same right away through primary school, right away through secondary school. And we always just, we had a big field out the back. We had the glen really close and the beach and the hills. And gradually as we got older, it just grew like the area where we, where we played and where we where we ran and where we cycled. It was always attentive to always be on bikes then, because that was mm-hmm. kind of the leveler. I mean you could always it wasn't about going out and some of it was like we'd go and like I remember one time we went to go climb a sea cliff and take our bikes up. And it was a total disaster. And I ended up like it was just it was a, it, we got like covered in cuts from brambles and stuff. We we're determined to like don't know why we took our bikes up but it's that kind of stuff that we did when we were younger just these silly little things and it just didn't really stop um until we went to uni and I started climbing it was just always um the same same group of mates and just hanging about so that I was really lucky in that we were like I wasn't it wasn't like an urban environment so your parents were scared to let you out all the time but it wasn't so remote that there was no one about to hang out with so we always had something to do regardless of the weather and regardless of where we were so that's just what we did and then um yeah just that wasn't really particularly sporty I just um was always active out with my mates I, d- I didn't play any sports really mm. I, mean, I was like usual usually like skateboarding and biking and all that kind of stuff that people did but I only really picked a sport and stuck with it when I when I started climbing and that gave me a real focus through yeah, right away through uni, basically. Hmm. That's what I did. That's that's cool. So, I mean, uh, certainly with the people I've spoken to, they, they tend to be more, I don't know, traditional sports, unless they're from like Guernsey or something like that, where it's uh, <laughs> surfing galore. But that's interesting that it's it's sort of been such a social thing with for you and just having your mates there, and that, that's what you were doing is you and your mates were going out. It wasn't any impetus from like your parents or anything like that to make you go out no, and do No, I mean, my, my parents weren't particularly sporty. My yeah. dad played badminton a lot. My mum, yeah, I guess my mum was into running um, and cycling. Um, and she still works in a gym um, just now. Um, 
but yeah, we don't do enforcement or anything at all. Mm. But that's, yeah, but that's super cool. Is that you? Um, it, it's all been intrinsic uh, motivations for you to go and do all these things, rather than rather than having external factors to force you to go out and do it. So, to find sports that you love that give you that, you know, intrinsic motivation you're so much more likely to stick to those sports and it's just yeah it's quite refreshing to hear so um you were saying that you, you did some skateboarding and stuff as well you didn't, didn't oh, keep yeah. that i think everyone at my age i think everyone at my age um so i'm 30 yeah i'm 30 you get to that age where you forget what age you are so i'm 30 <laughs> now and i think probably like being a teenager in the early 2000s um that's just what everyone did. I mean, it was huge. Like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was all like all the rage, and I was mega into all that sort of stuff. Still, am like my music tastes are totally driven by by those games um, <laughs> and that playlist, you know. So that's I still think maybe that's the, like skateboarding. I've, I've always been a, a skier and a snowboarder as well. And I think that's always those individual sports have always appealed to me much more in sports. So there isn't a structured kind of comp- competitive aspect to it. As soon as, I, like, even with racing and running, I did a few races and stuff, and maybe I will in the future. But like, like you're saying, like, I'd rather just go for a run mates, and like pick a like pick an adventure and then just go and go and do it. Like the other weekend, the boys were wanting to take up all the trick points in the Camp City Fells, so it's like forty six k, and I just went out. I supported them on the first leg of that, and. It was great. It was a good day out, but you never, you never have ran thirty k round a basically a bog for four hours on your own, or or because of a competition. It just wouldn't, it would have, it wouldn't have been the same. No. Um, but that, I think, I think that sounds like it goes back to that sort of extrinsic thing. It's not, it's not about the competition for you. It's about the actually going out and being social, being in that moment. Oh, definitely for sure. I'd mm. say so. Um, yeah, as soon as there's any competition, I tend to switch it off. Basically. That's 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 very interesting to to hear. <laughs> right, it's it's just it's as I said, it's quite refreshing because usually it's like people are talking about setting themselves up for an event or something along those mm-hmm. lines. But um, you you ask those sort of people, and you're putting yourself through all this pain for the the actual just the enjoyment of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm not not saying there's not a competitive aspect. Like if I see if one of my mates is is running really well at the moment, it'll motivate me. Or like there's a, like our group, if there's a, if there's like someone that we know that's done something really cool and we know they're sort of similar level to us, but maybe just slightly beyond, mm. that'll motivate all of us to up our game and get better and do something similar or like like you know what I mean? Like, just it's, it's a different type of motivation. There's definitely friendly competition between me and my friends, like hundred yeah. percent. Um, but it's not. It's definitely not a structured thing in any way. Like, we set up a like during the first lockdown, we set up quite a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, when it all started, so we had this like we called it the the cowboy one hour challenge. So it was yeah. a really famous uh, steep hill in in Partick. So just like half a mile over there and it probably rises 40 50 meters it, it's it's more than a 10 percent hill it's like proper steep and it's really like you sit at the base of it you're like this is a really 
really famous sledging hill in Glasgow for whenever there's snow, that's where you go, you go to Garden Street. So it basically, we, we're seeing how many reps you get in an hour and everyone got involved in that. And that, that's the kind of competition I, I can get involved in when you can just show up on the day in your own time and do like a time, to, time trial challenge. Like that's, that's really fun. So you were talking about um, you did some skiing and snowboarding as well. So where, where did you go for that? In terms of learning it? Well, learning it and then obviously continuing to do it. Where, where were the sorts of places you used to go for that? Uh, so, well, I started on Bella Houston Dry Ski Slope in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. So um, my dad took me there, must have been five, six, something like that, like really, really young. Um, because my mum and dad had been skiers, uh, they, like, all through the 80s and 90s, well, no, before I came along, but they didn't go when I came along, so not the 90s. So probably during the 70s and 80s, actually, they, they skied and they went to Switzerland every year uh, cool. skiing. That's what they did. Yeah, like uh, Chrome Montana and places like that. Um, so yeah, I think basically as soon as I was able to get on skis, my dad wanted to get me on skis, and it was just it was me. It was a thing me and my dad did. So we went up to Glencoe every year. I went skiing. I went to France a couple of times, um, and then it just kind of petered out as other stuff came up. But I still would keep my eye, and I still I'm still ski occasionally. Uh, when I can, but it's not like not in my main focus. I just do it because I enjoy it. It's not like a, um, I wouldn't like if there was really good snow up north. I wouldn't suddenly be rushing to go go skiing. I'd be thinking. I'm still thinking running. I'm not thinking skiing. Um, but if someone wants to go skiing, I'm more than happy to go because it's such a great great thing to do. And then snowboarding, like usual story, like snowboarding came along and it was starting to get popular, and I fancy giving it a go. But then I went back to skiing because actually when you go to a resort and you're on a mountain, a snowboard is such a hassle. It's a nightmare to get around. You can't go as, yes, fun uncertainly, like off-piste on powder, a snowboard is just a much more fun device. Hmm. But actually 90% of the time, skis are just a better way to go. Well, I find anyway. I'm sure many people would disagree, but um, certainly less faffing about with, with skis. Yeah. I, I always thought I'd go for skis anyway. I'm, I'm not I'm not particularly proficient skier, but uh, you know I've only taken it up in uh, in my twenties, so um, that took a lot of a uh, lot of learning to get to that point. But uh, oh, it's such a yeah. I bet it would. I bet it would. What were you doing? What were you, where did you learn? Did you learn on snow? Yeah, I went to Valterens where uh, that was that was for the first week, and then it was uh, Les du Alps for the second week. So I went out with my university. So that was uh, great yeah. fun. Yeah, you spent more time good. drunk and hungover than you did actually skiing, probably. No, no, not at all. No? <laughs> <laughs> all about skiing, I'm sure. <laughs> no, yeah, it was all so. about the hungover skiing. Um, certainly in the first week it was. The second week was uh, was graded, so that was part of one of my modules. Oh, right. So, yeah. You were saying that sort of you were out on your bikes during your... Um, during your adolescence and then when you went to university how did you fit that around sort of your um studies and things like that if you were like training a lot for climbing and, and yeah how did you well, fit that around? the work in the work in my unit so i did mechanical engineering at strathclyde mm. so and i enjoyed it i thought it was really good um again i was lucky to be surrounded by a lot of smart people and we we all studied kind of in a really structured way. 
So I realized very quickly that I can't study in a group. So I, I would basically lock myself away and study during like almost working hours. So I'd get up early, start studying for a wee hour. Then I'd, uh, my usual study routine, yeah, eight till about 11, I'd study. I'd get a bite to eat. I'd go climbing for maybe an hour, two hours, come back, eat some more, study until six o'clock and then stop and then chill for the evening. Whereas what my mates would do is get up really late, faff about in the town, because Strathclyde's obviously right in the middle of Glasgow, and then they'd study until about 11 o'clock at night and cram a really unhealthy session in. Hmm. Um, but they were all still doing sports as well. Like my mate's a really competitive squash player. Uh, a few other mates, um, like my mate was a British kart champion. Um, during, during uni, one of the guys from Aberdeen. Yeah. Um, so it's like, we all did stuff. It wasn't just like they were hanging about, but um, that's just the way it worked for me. So I, I did do, like, it was part of my day and part of my kind of mental release was to go climbing in the middle of the day um, and then sometimes go climbing again at night. And that's just the way it was for, for the whole of uni, basically. And then you, you kind of forget now, but in uni you have four months off in the summer. So we'd like, yeah, I'd work, but I'd also have so much time to just this amazing amount of free time, basically, that yeah. you'd have like four months. So you, if you wanted to to go away, like we went away to Kalimnos in Greece for, I can't remember how long, it was ages anyway, longer than a normal holiday. One, because it was so cheap, and two, because we could. And we just went out and climbed for, climbed every day in Greece for, for the, the whole time we were there, it was amazing. But you can never you can never do that now because you just wouldn't have the time. You'd have to be back for something. But we had four months just to do whatever we wanted. Usually, so usually back for work and things like that. Exactly, exactly. Well, we had to get back for like September, you know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> that was that was that was good. You got you got other other priorities now. You said you yeah, it's your dog there as well. So that doesn't yeah. allow you to go too far away for. She's here, stealing she's socks. Mm. Still stealing, stealing she, socks. Stealing socks. That's what she does just now. Oh, she's great. So she she loves getting out as well. So and that's fantastic. That's that's fantastic. Like there's uh, the the amount that you've done uh, in the outdoors and things. Um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll come back onto it. But you know, it's a real vast array of what you have done, even though it's in maybe specific sports and things like that. It looks like you've been out there and, and done a lot. So, um, the <laughs> the thing we'll move on to just now is we'll move on to um, your technology usage. So, as the second part of the the podcast. So, just um, you know, what sort of technology do you use on a daily basis? We'll start with digital stuff, and then we'll move maybe on to the stuff you use in the outdoors. So. Let's start with the digital stuff. For for sport, what are we talking? Just digital oh, sport stuff. Just uh, just anything digital, go for it. Anything digital? Well, I tell you what. See, working from home, yeah. the best thing that I have bought is a USB working <laughs> monitor. Yeah. So this thing here, which is plugged in, uh-huh. um, is so good. And you look how thin it is. That's insane. And it's super light and it runs yeah. just off runs just off a of USB. Single connection, HD. Um, it can do 1080, like 60 hertz. 
and honestly, the like I think it was like 180, 200 pounds. Like honestly, best money I've ever spent working from home. And it means yeah. that I've got so much more real estate to work with, especially uh-huh. as an engineer. You can have drawings uh, and comments, and when you're in meetings, you can have drawings up on the other screen. It's just is it in work? I have three screens. Right. But I obviously don't have that here. So, right. but that's like work-wise, get get yourself one of those if you, if you can. That they are yeah. they're incredible. Um, but I mean, in terms of sports stuff, mm. um, I actually don't have it on me. I've I've got an old Garmin Phoenix uh, Phoenix Three HR, which is the wrist-mounted heart rate monitor, mm-hmm. and I think. The problem is it's so good and it hasn't actually deteriorated at all. And like I bought that, yeah, I probably bought it like two and a half, three years ago. Mm. And it's really not, it's not giving me an excuse to get a new thing. And that's what's annoying me about it. That's the, the best review I can give of it is it's so proficient at what it does. And it hasn't, like the battery life's still like fine. I can get a week's worth of training yeah. uh, out of it. Totally fine in daily use. Um, yeah. No- no sponsored it has, either. It has everything I need. Not sponsored at all. No, <laughs> I just um, it's I can't I can't seem to fault it. I mean, my, my my friends have got so we've all got different variations on a theme really. So my friends got the the newer one, the Phoenix Six. Um, mother mate Isaac has got a the nine four five Garmin, which is the triathlon one. Because he he's like he does what he does triathlons so. That's how he wants that one. And my other friend's got a Sunto 9. Um, and he actually, he's had two, so he bought one and it didn't have the barometer on it. And when we were at a run one day, we all got like correct elevation readings. Whereas yeah. he, he got like, well, so we got like 1,100 meters and he, he got like 300. And it was like, he's like, nope. That's it. I think he had one <laughs> run with it and he was like, bin. And then he, he bought the one with the, the barometer on it. So I think yeah. that's that's a key thing is it needs to have a barometer because especially with mountain running and trail running, you need to know how much elevation you're getting hmm. and where, what elevation you're at. It's just um it's just the uh, total necessity. In terms of the heart rate monitor though, I don't really I don't really care about that. Like mine's all over the shop. It says I'm like regardless of whether I'm running a marathon, I'm running like a 5k effort or I'm just out on a plod. It gives me like the same heart rate within like a 10 beats per minute window. Mm. And I'm like, that's 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 not either I'm some freak of nature or there's something going on here. So that's that's the only thing that's not so good about it. But I mean, yeah. it's, it's great, it has like a navigation, like a very basic navigation function, which is 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 decent. Um it's like a kind of safety net. So you can you can basically press a button and it'll trace you all the way back down the route you've come. Um, so if you're up, like we got lost up the top of Bidian, uh, the mist descended, so mm. right up in the middle of Glencoe, no idea where we were, and that's how we got back, as we were just able to go, boop, and it just led us all the way back down. That's pretty. That's pretty snazzy on that. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was good. But, I mean, in terms of running, though, digital technology is is, is limited. Watches mm. are 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 kind of a personal thing, but. I guess I just kind of lucked out in the fact that I got one that just meets my needs perfectly. It's really customizable as well. Like the different readout sheet you can have, or you can, it actually knows when you're climbing. So it switches to a different screen and gives you different data as you're, Mm. as you're climbing as well, which is a really handy function. 
fair. Uh, in, t- in terms of digital stuff and running, uh, yeah, it's, it's fairly limited, I'd say. Yeah. And uh, you, I mean, you, get, you sent me some, something through it earlier on. And it was quite in depth. So I was quite quite pleased. So let's <laughs> let's head let's head into to, um, let's do it. you know, in in the first couple of um, the first couple of podcasts I did, one of the one of the guys I was talking to made it um, abundantly clear that I'd missed a big bit on here, and it was talking <laughs> about the technology with clothing and and the developments in those. So if you want to head into some of your clothes stuff that you've got and uh, let's do that. Yeah, so I guess one of the most interesting things that, um, that I've learned is it's just packaging on your body and where things sit. So mm. traditionally you think with um, like most people's understanding of when you go a hill walk is like a backpack. Mm-hmm. So everything's stuffed in your back. But if you're running, you can't get access to any of that stuff. Mm. So uh, ultra runners and mountain runners tend to have like in a vest pack arrangements that they wear. So what I do is I've got a, it's a chest mounted, it's like a, a kind of stretchy vest almost that goes around your shoulders. And on the front, it has so many like stretchy pockets in it. So there's not a zip in sight on this thing. There's, I think there's maybe two zip pockets on the side so you can put your phone and your keys on either side. But on the front, it carries two 500 mil soft flasks. Mm-hmm. So as you drink them, they deflate and go away to nothing and then it's got four pockets on the front which are huge so uh, in a really long run I'll take two bottles I'll take Tailwind which I'll get onto because it's magic and so I'll take like a few sachets of Tailwind you can fit like a whole packet of Jelly Babies in one two bananas in the other it's like all your food and stuff that you need now is on the front and then on other straps and other bits you can get. So there's a little pocket around the back where you can put your hat and gloves. And then the stuff that you really need when it gets bad, you put in the big pocket at the back. So it's all this stuff is just accessible to you on the fly constantly. And then the way it sits on your body, it doesn't restrict your breathing. It's made of a, a material which stretches as well. So you can get some that clip on and you need to have them so tight so they don't move, but that also restricts your breathing. Yeah. It also rubs, whereas these things just are just they just sit on you. So that's like the technological development. Like when I started running, I had one that didn't flex, and then right. Salomon came out with this um, the S Lab vest that they came out with, and it just like that was a technological leap where everyone kind of went, "Whoa, whoa!" It doesn't have any pockets. How does that work? And it's like, I'll show you how it works. <laughs> and it just does. So I mean, that was an amazing development from like early on in my running. Um, but- yeah. If you went, if you went a bit further back in time, uh, what sort of things did these ultra uh, ultra marathon runners uh, use, or marathon runners use in these sort of situations? Well, they had they had kind of um, more basic versions of those vests. So hmm. I, I've got a vest in there which is solid, and yeah, it has the front things there and has a zip pocket on the back, but it just holds it closer to you in a less in a more restrictive way. And hmm. um, before that, you're going back to the old fell running style of the Ron Hill bum bag, like the green hmm. bum bag arrangement with stuff stuffed yeah. into it. You'll see like <laughs> the classic hill racer guys wearing, but they're they're generally just for I'd say shorter hill races, but you could you could probably run like guys still do run in them on variations of these bum bags and love them. Hmm. Um, and even I've got I've got my like a my naked band 
which is, a, I guess, is effectively a bum bag, except instead of one pocket, it's got three stretchy pockets around you. Yeah. Um, that's a bit kind of variation on that. But again, it's a limiting technology. It's mm. good on a hill race when you need mandatory kit and you only need it in extremis when you're either, when you've broken an ankle or the weather's come in or like that's that's when you use it. Uh, whereas these other things are designed to be used as you're going along. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of hill runners that pack up uh, a kit bag and never open it again for their whole hill, hill running career. You know, they'll just, they'll have everything, all the mandatory kit in there. They yeah. don't know how to use a compass. They don't, they don't know anything. They'll just stuff it all in there and that's then tick the box. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that would have been, that. that's the older type of uh, version of that. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess, so you, you know, you're talking about your, your hydration and, and your you know, snacking uh, capabilities. But there's been large leaps in sort of your clothes and your and your footwear technology as well. So oh massive massive. I mean the, the biggest the biggest leap forward. Well there, there's like incremental improvements in shoes. So I basically stumbled upon the Salomon Sense series, which are a really good shoe. I think I'm, I've had every version and I'm on three now and they just work. Hmm. I've tried other trail shoes and I always come back to these because 90% of the time they've got enough grip on the sole, they're light, they fit my feet, don't give me blisters at all. Um, and yeah, they just work and they last for ages. They're bomb proof, the Salomon shoes. There's hmm. another type of newer shoe that I've actually got is a, quite a lot of guys who've come onto the mountain running scene from Scandinavia who are orienteer, mm -hmm. orienteers, I guess you call them. And so these guys have come along and brought a whole, first of all, they're unbelievably fit. So these mm -hmm. guys came along and just won everything. And we were, everyone's like, where do these guys come from? A whole different sport, but they can cover ground really quickly. And mm -hmm. part of the reason is that is they brought this whole shoe technology with them. Okay. So a brand there is, is VJ Shoes. So VJ, basically, they're they're the best mountain shoes that I've I've ever I've ever had. They were just like better grip on the, the the test is always on like slimy rocks and stuff like that. And these things just grip, and they're just they just you can have so much confidence. And once you take that load off your mind, you you're less tense. You can flow a bit better. You're not constantly putting the brakes on every time you're running down a hill, you're not worried about stuff. So you can just be like over a 50K, that yeah. adds up to a huge, like it could add up to like half an hour, an hour difference over the, like just means you're not, you're much more efficient. So yeah, the VJs are really good. But I guess, I guess the biggest thing is, is when Innovate came out with their graphene shoes. So I got a pair, I got a pair a couple of years ago. And although they have a very, limited window of operation which is very muddy ground they they look brand new i mean apart from the fact that they're covered in mud the sole on these things is just as they were at the box it's, it's genuinely incredible um how how much of a game changer in terms of rubber that is and anyone that has used innovates will be amazed by that because innovate shoes wear out like you put them out in a strong breeze and the sole blows off them. They're so soft. Um, but yeah, though these things are just, yeah, like unbelievable. But then again, those they're absolutely useless on rocks or dusty paths. 
because mm -hmm. it must be because the rubber compound is so hard yeah. and it's so ingrained in this graphene stuff. I'm sure there's development since then. Maybe they maybe they knew they've got a V2 version of this rubber or whatever, but um, certainly in terms of a totally bomb-proof mud shoe, these things are just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting talking to you about this because obviously you say you come from a, an engineering background, so you kind of are speaking in like terms of rubber compounds and things like that. <laughs> do you take do you take your engineering know-how and, and when you're buying things do you apply that to the stuff that you buy or i think you're more aware of what's going on as like because i you understand limitations of design you understand that you understand what what marketing can do mm. and what it can cover up and what what's actually happening when you're mm. being sold something I think that comes with experience in actual engineering industry rather than education. You understand how businesses operate and how how stuff gets made, basically. And 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 it's like if there's a whole new shoe coming out, you're like, well, is it is it really? Um, and you understand the limitations of technology. Uh, I certainly understood that when I got those shoes because yeah, they're amazing, but on other aspects they were rubbish. I guess you just become a more informed consumer. I guess with anything, you just understand what's kind of marketing BS and what's not, what's what's actually technical content. Hmm. Um, I think with Innovate, they did a really good job of that. I mean, they, they, they published, I think, published a few papers on, because they were the first company to to use graphene in this way, and it was genuinely groundbreaking. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty sure they published a few papers on uh, how to imbue rubber with graphene in a certain way and make these these compounds I mean, it's, <clears throat> well, I've not seen anything like it since. Have you ever thought with your with your engineering background, I know you see a mechanical engineer, but uh, ever thought about applying any of your know-how to some of your own sporting gear or anything like that? Uh, <laughs> I, just, yeah, I don't think I'd be very good at it. Like, um, no. No, I, th I think these material technologies are just, <clears throat> they're in the realms of science rather than engineering almost. Mm. And then it's just, I guess the way a supply chain works is when you're buying a, an Innovate or an Adidas top or a Nike top, ultimately these guys are, they're not, they're branding something from a larger distributor. Mm. And unless you are a huge company, then ten generally, <clears throat> you understand when things are generally made by that company and things are getting procured through a larger material organization. What's that? Mm. Like what's what is actually good? Like a Ron Hill t-shirt, which will cost you eight pounds. Like I've had the same maroon Ron Hill base layer my whole running career. The like career, like however long time. And it is the best thing I've ever, like the best like 12 pounds I've ever spent. It's absolutely magic, does the job perfectly. But then you've got, I've also got a smart wool merino wool base layer which is equally brilliant but costs so much more um so i don't know i i certainly haven't i, I don't know i don't think i know the right know-how but i certainly understand value when i see it well i mean you you, you sent me a, an email earlier with with uh some answers to the questions i sent you and um this is more my bag uh, with a sports science background you started talking about um 
like nutrition tech and things like that and that's that's sort of based down onto the the fact that sports science has taken off where so many sports now have become professional and that they're really having to hone down to make these make these people as strong as possible um so it, you know if you want to head into that and talk about that that tech tech for a bit mm-hmm. yeah well <clears throat> i guess there's different aspects of it like there's the the I, I I used to take like a protein shake after every run and I used to do all that sort of stuff. I haven't done that now for the past, I don't know, the last time I had one, like a year and a bit ago, maybe the last time I bought some protein powder mm. and not noticed a single difference. I've been, I've been doing more more running, uh, like more load on my body and no, no, no difference to my recovery time. Uh, I've not had any major injuries. And I feel better and stronger than I ever have, not having mm. taken that. So for me personally, and this is obviously so specific to me because I I do feel that I get enough from my diet that I don't need that aspect of it. Mm. <clears throat> However, on the day, like during sport is where I feel that my that some some products have really helped. Mm. So in like during activities, especially during running a solid fuel just it does work sometimes and you need it like like you need it like four hours into like an ultra because you're like don't make me drink any more of that you're like give me something solid um but if your stomach's okay by then you can take solids and you're like i'm yeah. actually starving give me something to eat and um, whereas the majority of your training if you're like even if you're breathing hard and you're trying to shove Haribo into your mouth or you're trying to eat a banana, like banana's not as bad, but it just disrupts you. You slow down. You feel like you're chomping away. It doesn't work. Mm. So like a lot of companies now do like dissolvable fuel and water. So it became, I think most people know, well, they might not, but there's a company called Morton who sponsor like every high-level athlete. I think Mo Farah uses Morton. Uh, Elliot Kipchoge uses Morton stuff but before all this there's a company called Tailwind who mm-hmm. were started by a guy who was running the Leadville 100 miler which is a, like a mega high altitude uh, ultra in Colorado mm-hmm. and he was like every gel everything gives me like a total like they call it a gut bomb where you just like nothing's staying down at all you just it's just a horrific experience. Um, so he invented basically this blend of sugars and salts and all sorts of stuff and, and caffeine in, into a powder that dissolves really easy in water um, and called it tailwind because it felt like it gave him, I guess, a tailwind as he was running. <laughs> so, and that, that stuff is, is brilliant. Um, I've tried other stuff as well. as a company in Edinburgh called Active Root who do uh, ginger and green tea flavored mm. one and it's it's basically tailwind super refined it's really fine powder stuff and it's <clears throat> whereas the active fruit is a bit more homemade and it feels more natural and it's mm. certainly a much nicer flavor the active fruit you can drink more of it um i feel but it does maybe it has its drawbacks because it doesn't dissolve as easily but those type of drinks are they gave me a huge boost in, in my long distance running and even my day-to-day training. Mm. Um, and the fact that 
with water, obviously you'll, you'll know this, if you're taking in just water and you're sweating, you're actually accelerating the depletion of salts within your body and you're just going to cramp up and you're thinking to yourself like, why am I cramping up? I've been drinking water, but what you've actually been doing is flushing out all the, sh- the salts in your body. <laughs> um, whereas this, this stops that happening. So you can, you can pile in a super concentrated amount of tailwind and just replenish all those things on the fly. Um, plus, if you need to at the end of the race, take a caffeine one and you're like, and you're ready to, <laughs> ready to rock again. So it's, that, that was stuff that when, when you start using that kind of thing to improve your running, it's just like, why, why haven't I heard of this sooner? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, some of the feats that people are doing these days is just incredible because, you know, we, after about 60 minutes, like um, naturally stored glycogen is just usually depleted. So it's stored in the muscles of the liver and things like that. And it's, and it's just gone. So to be able to keep fueling yourself to carry on these things, like if you look at things, people like Mark Beaumont, who, is, who did the round the world in 80 days. Um, and he had a full before he had a performance manager making sure that his diet was completely you know yep. trying to smash the calories as much as possible just to get it in you know so it's um incredible but that that level of knowledge applied to that effort mm. was critical to the success of that guy i mean that that unlocked more potential in him as an athlete and it's the same as that ross edgley guy i mean he's he, yeah he could probably do a whole podcast i could get chat to him he's just a fount of knowledge on on this kind of thing but his book is incredible uh, on on resilience uh, and on training as well and uh, very interesting ideas about muscle and especially he's a big guy and he does endurance sports and that's just that's cool well, it's quite unusual hmm. um but you know that's it's yeah uh, yeah it does does unlock more human potential for sure well, as I said, you can't be a pork pie. That's the, the ultimate fuel for uh, the long distance runner. I oh, know the the food of champions is ice cream. You watch? Awesome you ever watch Usain Bolt or or Mo Farah smashing <laughs> the ice cream? So, so you know, let's let's go back because you had an Instagram page for a while uh, yep. for your for your running stuff. So, um, you know, let's talk about social media for a, a little bit. Um, of course, yeah. How much do you use it and, and, and what do you use it for, you know? Well, now I don't use it at all. Um, no? I, I kind of peaked and then dropped off. So I was like a casual user of it for years. Um, mm. And then, uh, yeah, as the running developed, me and my mates were like, oh, we should do something with this because we go cool places. We take really nice photos and... We basically just wanted to show off Scotland and, and say this is like people should come try this because what we do mm-hmm. is actually because we're looking around and we're thinking actually what we do is pretty cool and, and people should I think people would be interested in it. Mm-hmm. So we did it, we did it for a while. It's called the Camps of Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Um, because where we run and where we train is the Camps of Fells, which is just north of Glasgow. So like this is why Glasgow is a great city for for sport because or for outdoor sports because yeah, 20 minutes drive and you're in beautiful hillsides and countryside. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we called we called it the Camps of Cowboys and we just started off just taking silly photos and just not taking ourselves too seriously at all, just being just having fun with it. And some like we'd I got a bit of a following locally, 
um, and we've met some really nice people and still um, though the lockdown happened and we couldn't meet up with most of them because as we got kind of more following locally um, that's when lockdown pretty much happened so that's when we started to change it a little bit and set up these little time trials locally and and the like the garden street challenge things like that so yeah we grew this page and we, we started taking taking what i thought was nice photos good videos that sort of thing and it was really fun for a while i guess and then mm. just kind of got fed up with it i just it was like i don't know i was kind of thinking about what social media was actually bringing to me as a person i don't think it was actually bringing that much like spend and like so much anxiety and like you get the, the kind of FOMO thing where you're like oh he's out doing this and I'm not I just feel like it was belittling my life mm. and making me not value what I had because I always wanted what everyone else had yeah um and I felt that I was contributing to that maybe um with the boys but more than that it was like we'd go out for a run and we'd be like oh that we'd be like oh stop here for a photo do this for a photo can we get mm. this and then we'd be going home and uploading and thinking oh why are we not getting like 200 likes i've only got this many likes so far i'll delete it i'll change the caption i'll do this the hashtags aren't working and i just i was just like nah it's just too much i, I can't bother with this so it's still there i mean the page is still there but yeah um i've I deleted all the apps off my phone and i've not missed it to be honest that was like a few months ago now where i deleted it and yeah I mean, just, just to confirm you still got 616 followers and 131 posts on that on that page that's all right that's all right it's not going down as i thought it would just be depleted completely but maybe once maybe once people find out that i'm not doing it anymore they'll delete this but no i, I think like it just became yeah, it became too much and you kind of got annoyed you thought you're looking at other people's pages and you're thinking our stuff's better than that why aren't we getting why have we got fifteen thousand followers yeah. And then I was thinking, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want, I don't want 15,000 followers. Why would I want that? I'm just, a, I just want to go out running with my mates. Yeah. It's interesting you say that um, because, I mean, you, you basically hit the nail on the head without any sort of coercion into it. Um, <laughs> these are these, I mean, these are a lot of issues <laughs> that people are talking about with social media and things like that. So, totally, yeah. totally. you know, um, for you to turn around and say, you know, I'm not actually getting anything out of this um it's not improving my life in any way and then you're getting the the negative side of of scrolling through um the people's perfect lives you know yeah um it's a market it's a marketing platform and it's a marketing hmm. platform not only i think people know obviously like that they're the product they're getting sold stuff so hmm. they their data is being used to target advertisement but that is the whole framework of social media but hmm. i think more than that people market themselves in a really false way and that, that is the more harmful aspect is certainly the mental health aspect where people feel totally inadequate in their own lives because they're constantly bombarded, literally constantly bombarded every time with perfect lives. And mm. these people, like, anyway, I, I mean, it's just one of those things that I, I certainly, my life got a lot better when I stopped using it and other people um, and that like, I've done the same and feel much better because of it, so... Well, was, uh, one of the, one of my guests was saying that you know he he was a lot older than us, and um, we were talking about his time when he when he was in Canada, just his postdoctorate, and mm -hmm. he was out there, um, and 
you know, they went on a canoe trip and this was just as emails and things were coming in. So there's no phones or anything like that. And um, he was just saying that he remembers it vividly. Uh, and I just wonder sometimes, you know, you put in your thing you sent to me that, um, uh, what was it? it was, people were actually using, losing the genuine connection with the outdoors because yeah. um, all they're looking for is to take that perfect picture to put online. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'm guilty of that as well. Um, you know, so I do wonder sometimes um, if it is a case of um, you have to just leave it behind to actually get the true benefits of being in the outdoors, you know. So. I think I think you have to yeah I think I think you're totally right there man I think um I think a genuine connection with something can only happen if you're actually fully immersed in it and I think if you're viewing it through the prism of social media then I don't, I, don't, I think people are almost looking at their life through a filter in terms of they're seeing something as a as an instagrammable opportunity mm. rather than an opportunity to make themselves feel happy mm. um you know, the interesting thing is, is that you were saying you weren't getting any benefit out of it. Um, there's there's lots of research to suggest that actually as an active user of social media where you were putting content on and it was being used, um, you, you, you won't see any negative, you shouldn't see any negative side effects of that. You know, um, unless people were being abusive towards you or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's it's the people that are, uh, you know, you're an active user. It's the people that are passive users of of those things mm. that tend to have the the more negative side effects of, of using that. Using yeah, I guess over there you're also you're also kind of running a business. I guess you're also there's that element of stress, mm. and it's almost like a performance anxiety, where you think, oh shit, I have to I have to upload a post now. And it better be a good one. But I've mm. not been out running recently, so I'm gonna to have to dig through the back catalogue. And why would <laughs> I post it? And then you think you're just putting stuff up just to keep the algorithm happy. Yeah. And it's not about it's not about a genuine experience. Then it's just to satisfy a an output. And it's not mm. that's I mean, uh, it's just nah, not for me. Not for no. me. Maybe other people are doing it. Maybe other people do really well at it. But I mean, certainly I know a lot of ultra runners who have a great following and because they are by all means professional athletes they need to have a social media presence and because there's not a lot of money in it and because these other people obviously work other jobs as well most of them are full-time professionals mm. um, in a normal career they they keep it up themselves and they they have to they have to take all that pressure on themselves so mm. i'd be really interested to hear how these guys it's incredibly niche, but I'd be interested to hear how someone like that feels about it, mm. honestly, and honestly feels about it, rather than, because um, I can understand the benefit they get from it, but it must be a hassle. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talking about the, your technology use or your digital technology use at the moment. Um, and, you know, we've touched on there how it's sort of changed our modern culture and society, you know. Um, Let's go back to you first before we move more in depth to that. How do you feel like it's changed as you've grown up, or your technology use has changed as you've grown up? Are you, you know, are you using more, or would you quite happily just chuck your phone away? No, I think it's, it's an enabling technology when used correctly. So I think a lot of things, 
Like, I was saying to you in my email, that actually reminded me of it. <clears throat> the only reason I ever got a mobile phone is because we were out walking up Goat Fell and Aaron, mm. and everyone was going too slow back down the mountain. I just wanted to get back down, so I just <laughs> ran on ahead. Like, I just ran down, and uh, I was waiting for ages. I must have, I think I ran the full thing, so I just bombed down. I was waiting near Brodick Castle, and I was just, maybe it was because I was younger, and the passage of time just feels much slower. Mm. Um, but eventually I thought I must have ran down the wrong path at some point and I must be lost. Um, so at the end of the day, police got involved. I was put in the back of a Rangers defender. Yeah. You, you, it probably would have been you. If it, if it happened now, you would have picked up this child from the hillside and driven them <laughs> down the landing. So that was me. And uh, eventually, because Aaron's such a small place, it was like, where are they? Are they in Brodick? Are they at the ferry terminal? Yes, I'll bring them down now. So that was me. And I got, that's that's how I got my mobile phone. Hmm. But now you would just share your location on WhatsApp. Boom, yeah. There you go. Problem yeah, solved. Right. Well, you don't get an interesting story out of it. You don't, you don't no, get an interesting story, but um, that that's how it's changed. I think it's, it's enabled me and it's enabled people generally to more safely interact with the outdoors. Hmm. Flip side to that is when things go wrong, technology fails, batteries die in the cold, etc. Mm. People are are totally helpless when when they're out there. So they're yeah, they're very reliant on it. But in mm. in the, in a safe in the the bounds of a, a safe adventure, then they um it enables them to have a really nice time in the mountains more safely. Even if they're doing the same thing they do without a phone, at least they feel more comfortable doing it or without a GPS unit or or whatever. Well, I mean, uh, you know, as a as a, a as a guy who's worked as a husky sledding guide, and uh, you know, working in a really harsh environment like that, you know, mm-hmm. um, we, I, I used to go around with a with a a big um, portable uh, charger, so one that would actually do that would charge your phone um, at least four times over, and it was fully charged oh, before I'd go out on tour, because yeah. I, I mean, iPhones are useless. Um, <laughs> as soon as as soon as you get out there, if it's an old iPhone, the battery just dies. So yeah. it's always plugged in, and it's always on. You know, um, so you're quite right. And how quickly you try would that and... deplete then? Over over, how quickly would that battery pack de- de- deplete? Uh, the battery pack wasn't too bad. Um, I mean, the longest tours I I used to run was like a three day tour, so the battery pack would be fine for that. Oh right, that's good. So, um, but you, you know. Um, even if you're guiding in, in the UK and taking people up mountains or anything like that, then um, you still need to have a phone with you because yeah. uh, if something happens to your group, you need to be able to yeah, get someone off the hill, basically. It mm. has become a, a, a safety thing and a safety net that you, know, you never used to have. So um, as you say, it is an enabling, used correctly, it's an enabling thing, but I think, yeah. Well, that's that's the name of the podcast. It's the unplugged debate. So, you know, <laughs> have a debate on what you what you feel is your perspective on how technology is sort of changing us. Mm. Um, so, so you know, that is that the you obviously got your phone after that. What what age was that that you that that happened? Oh. I don't, I don't, oh, I need to have a think back. I need to look at it. I can't have been 
I don't know, maybe nine, ten. So it would have been like the turn of the millennium or something like that. Yeah. It's quite young. Maybe so I was a bit older than that actually. But it would have been a, it, it would have been one of those simple phones that you just pressed. Oh down. yeah, it was like uh I don't think it was even a branded one. Mm-hmm. Very basic, like very basic. I guess maybe pre Nokia thirty two ten, even. <laughs> Could be talking rubbish. Don't quote, don't quote me on that. <laughs> put a, put a, um, Edit that bit out. <laughs> a disclaimer. Yeah, a disclaimer there. Maybe um, talking complete nonsense. I mean, I, I think I had a it was a Samsung thing. And my brother had a Nokia 3310 and that was our first phones and I always wanted his because his played Snake and mine played nothing. So it was just <laughs> yeah, it was just just a small screen. Yeah. So and now now we're annoyed when you can't instantly stream 4K video on a phone. <laughs> exactly. Totally I mean, that's something we uh, we can talk about here is um I mean, how do you think that it's changed modern day culture and society? You know, we're now we're now hitting our thirties. We were on that. Our generation was on that cusp of people still playing outside um, and to then playing indoors. You know, it, it yeah. seems like you never really sort of weren't one of those ones that owned an Xbox or uh, Nintendo. Well, it definitely time. was. I mean, we we played a lot of PlayStation. I mean, I was a, yeah. a PlayStation guy, so I did play a lot of video games. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was never the main thing, you know. It was never the mm. main aspect of my social life or the main aspect of my play experience as a child. Whereas mm. now it seems to be. Now I can't. I think our generation. I think you're totally right. It's a good time to catch people and talk about this sort of stuff because I do genuinely think that our generation is the last to, as you say, grow up playing outdoors, and I just don't see. Apart from in very limited circumstances, that being the case for most kids now, mm. it's, I mean, every baby, whether a parent says, we're not giving them an iPad, we're, we're never going to give our child an iPad to play with. Like that baby's six months old and they've got an iPad for that baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mo- like, no matter who you are, a baby is grown up using that bit of technology. <clears throat> And we've yet to see the impact of that on on children's lives, but we do know now that um, the the rates the rates of like childhood anxiety and, and certainly suicide among kids is alarmingly high, and whether that's a result of that sort of upbringing is obviously going to be a very interesting and horrific study for someone to to undertake. Um, whether it's just that we don't understand, we always classified it differently and these things were always happening, we don't know. Don't know, but certainly the amount of suicides I've heard of in young people um, anecdotally and, and directly have, have been, it's, it's pretty shocking. Um, I don't know if that's a result of, of technology. It's certainly, I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a school of thought that says you're, you're so connected, you're more connected than ever with technology. I really don't think people are. I think people are, are just, are, are actually far less able to interact with each other in a normal way because they don't have to. Mm. Well, uh, yeah. I, I remember speaking to one of, uh, speaking to one of my guests, like you saying, um, you know, you now, these days you'll, 
message your mate before you go around to their house, whereas she remembers where you just go around their house, knock on their door and see if they're going to come out to play type thing, you know, <laughs> rather than say, rather than giving your mate a, a message just to say, you know, are you at home? Uh, coming around. You, okay, you could use that as a metaphor for the way people view any sort of challenge in life, though. Hmm. You, you like people will not take something on with a view to failing. Hmm. You know, so that, like you'll go around to a mate's house and you'll put that time in to go there and chat the door, and they might not even be there, fully expecting you'll have to walk all the way back home. Hmm. Whereas now just like I don't know if people have that same mindset and they, they won't put time into anything they'd rather yeah. just have the instant they'd, they'd rather just know and then mm -hmm. put their time elsewhere but I mean that time walking around there <clears throat> you're out in the world you know and I don't mm. think people are out in the world you know, experiencing things so to, to wrap that question up how going forward how do you think it's going to change us Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if people either will address it and there'll be a divergence. It's almost like an anti-technology, not an anti-technology movement, but an understanding of the mm. limitations of technology. <clears throat> like as an engineer, what tends to happen in engineering is a new technology comes along. No one understands how to use it. A certain amount, certain number of companies exploit it mm -hmm. um, to huge financial gain. Then the government catches up, regulates it, makes the industry more competitive so other people have a chance to catch up. Technology mm. dies out and then you end up with a monopoly of a few companies that are heavily regulated. Yeah. And that's kind of the way technology and social media is going, is that regulation is now being talked about. Mm. And it will just it will just kill it eventually. It will just become so boring that no one wants to use it and everyone will move on to the next thing. Um but I, I think social media in some form has made its is social media technology is is here to stay i think and certainly in terms of technology embedded into people's lives in terms in a phone and well, do you, how, clo how close is your phone to you right now what six right inches away yeah mine's there so yeah. it's 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 just now part of your arsenal so when you check in the morning you say keys and wallet it's like keys wallet phone it's just yeah. the, it's something that's there yeah, my mate and I uh, used to have a, a, a pat down uh, before we'd leave the house. It's like, you know, boom, bullet case. Yeah. So, That's yeah. It. But uh, it's like using WhatsApp and things like that. That's still technically a social media that you that you partake in. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the messenger service that Facebook provide. And, you know, and it depends on which country you go to in Europe as well. It depends on which. Uh, messenger service they use so <laughs> yeah, i always true. found that interesting is... so what, what do you use then do you use like facebook messenger more than whatsapp even though it's... so we tend to use facebook messenger or certainly when i was going out for my first couple of seasons abroad yeah. um we in the uk se seem to use more facebook messenger whereas they were right. using whatsapp and things like that Whereas now I, th I feel like WhatsApp has certainly overtaken Facebook Messenger in this yeah. country. But then again, WhatsApp is now owned by Facebook. So exactly. yeah. <laughs> as you say, the um, monopolies and now it's getting regulated. So yeah. but let's, let's finish with all the doom and gloom and, and 
we'll wrap it we'll, we'll wrap it up there because i think there's been some top quality uh top quality stuff being talked about there top quality so, content that's why I, I aim to provide oh that's what we like <laughs> i like to finish it with a with a little question uh i leave it as ambiguous as possible because I, I like to see what people's responses are so um if you had the opportunity like money aside time aside um if you had the opportunity to take a year out away from technology completely off the grid where where would you go and what and yeah and why where would i go off the grid technology so if i had the resources to live as i wanted yeah but it's completely off the grid so no electricity no phones no digital connection or anything like that Oh, see, my engineer mind kicks in there, and I'm thinking about yeah. infrastructure already and life, <laughs> life supporting infrastructure. Um, oh, I, I don't know, somewhere temperate, somewhere not too with not too many wells, but hills. I don't know. I love I love continental Europe. Hmm. Probably go somewhere over there. Yeah, maybe like the Pyrenees or something like that. Just mm-hmm. Sequest myself up there for a period of time. <laughs> yeah, somewhere close to the Mediterranean side of the, the Pyrenees. That'd be nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, just go yeah, so, running. So, why are you choosing that though? You, is it is it because it's in the mountains? You know, keep the running up and that sort of thing, or is it? Oh, just... totally, totally. That makes me happy. Like, I need to be by the sea. I need to be near between the hills and the sea. That's that's mm. somewhere. That's probably the best place for me to be. Yeah, to be honest. Because it's 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 nice. Because every time you get a different response, um, that there's only been two people I think so far that have said no. Or they've they've put it with conditions because obviously the um, the way I phrase it every time is slightly different. So, um, <laughs> but there there has been someone that said you know flat out no. So it's it's quite interesting. That's interesting. That is interesting. Mm. I guess when I guess there's nothing I would actively change about my life. I think that's the lo- the lucky thing for me, especially now that I'm working from home, mm. is that actually I I realised I really really enjoy my life. Yeah. And the only the only change I made in the past year is to remove social media from it, and um, I really I wouldn't change anything. I've got the wealth of having been paid enough money to do the things that I want to do, live in a nice nice flat, and yeah, and have the time as well. I mean, time like wealth to me is time, so I've got it. It's pretty good. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, and uh, no worries, Craig. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Wilson for coming on the Unplugged Debate this week. Next week, we have Chris Heaney giving his perspective on the Unplugged Debate. So I look forward to seeing you all then. Thanks for listening.